Good morning. How are we doing? Ready to go? Let's just get right to it. Hebrews 13. Grab your Bibles, open it up. Uh, we've been marching through this book of Hebrews, and we've, this is our third week in chapter 13, and we haven't made it too far. Um, we're just going to get two more verses today um, because he gets pretty practical. Uh, the whole book's been kind of telling us how great Jesus is, and he's better than all these other things. And we get to chapter 13, and it starts to get to some application of applying this. Uh, and two weeks ago, Michael talked to us about the importance of loving the church, God's people, uh, not only here, but all over the world and in different situations. Uh, last week, Papa Rich gave you the sex talk, so hopefully that went well. We'll stir up some conversations at home uh, do that. And today, we're going to talk about money. Yes, everyone's favorite topic. Uh, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about money. And you're just like, y'all trying to just make us feel bad. We're just make us feel guilty talking about this stuff. Um, but the goal is not guilt. The goal is not shame. Uh, the goal is worship. And everything that we're talking about in this front part of chapter 13 has to be seen in light of how chapter 12 ended when he's calling us to offer acceptable worship to God with reverence and awe. And now he gets into like, okay, what does acceptable worship look like? And it's not just singing. It's all of life that shows how worthy Jesus is, how we treat his body, the, the church family, uh, how we approach morality, how we handle our checkbook, our calendar. Like everything should proclaim the worthiness of Jesus. So we're going to talk about money. And I just want to tell you up front, this is not a giving message. So anytime you're at church and you're talking about money, like, oh, it's a giving message. Like, what building campaign are they doing? Like, no, it's not a giving message. We're not going to be passive-aggressive in that way. I promise you we'll be aggressive-aggressive. Like, when we need it, I was like, hey, we need some money. We got a new building or something. But this ain't, this ain't it. Uh, uh, this, is, this is not about giving or this is not about getting your money. This is about your money not getting you. Um, so, the, so the focus of our text is not generosity. Now, there are a lot of passages in Scripture where that is the focus, and we should be generous people. We're called to that, but that's not what this text is focusing on. This text is focusing on contentment. So that's where we're going to go. Let me just read the first part of our section that we're looking at today. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So, how's your contentment? Let me ask it a different way. Do you find yourself wanting stuff you don't have a lot now the bible calls it coveting but i think that makes something pretty normal sound bad right like everybody wants stuff they don't have like we all do we we we, we live in a world that has a, an economy that's pretty much built on coveting like everywhere we go everything that we do it's just like things are put before us to remind us, hey, you don't have this. Your life would be better if you had this. Or what about this? Like every, you drive your car. You can't go very far without a billboard telling you, hey, what about this product? You get online and what do they have? Pop-ups. Just popping up. Like I wasn't even looking for it. It just popped up. And it knows you. It knows your search. So it's going to give you a personalized temptation. I mean advertisement. Right? It kind of just pops up to show you. You watch TV or listen to the radio. It's interrupted with commercials. Like, let's take a break to just remind you of stuff you don't have that you should have. You're in watching TV and there's commercials. Let me show you more stuff you don't have that I bet you want if I show it to you. Maybe it's not even in a commercial. Maybe it's the actual show. How many of you are perfectly fine with your house until you watch HTTV show? Okay, you didn't raise your hand, but you laughed. So you're guilty, right? Like you see these shows and you're just like, 
Somebody crash my backyard. That would be awesome. Like, I want that. I did not know I needed a bar outside, but now I do. I need that. Right? And you just kind of see these new things, and you're just kind of tempted and drawn to that. And kind of on a side note, just pastorally, could we be a little bit more careful on how we use the word need? Like, they kind of go through those houses, and it's like, oh, well, we would need to get new cabinets. Really? Like, you would need? They look fine. Um, or, or does your sixth grader need name brand clothes? Do they need the new iPhone? Like we have to be a little bit more cautious on this, but, but all this stuff is kind of put before us constantly, and we have this desire or we covet these things. Or maybe your coveting goes deeper than just material things. I wish I had her figure. I wish I had his job. I wish I had her personality. I wish I had his talents. And we live in this kind of social media world where Everybody can project their best life for everybody to see, even though it's not a reality. And we're in this constant, like, comparison with other people. And we covet, or we're not happy with our looks. We're not happy with our job. We're not happy with our house. We're not happy with our car. I'm not happy with my life. We have this discontentment um, when we try to kind of justify uh, or downplay our, our own coveting. Like, it's not like I'm asking for a private jet. I, mean, I just I just want a new truck, right? And, and it's like, my covenant is perfectly understandable and justifiable. Like, I'm not asking for too much. I just want, the, you know, whatever that is. And if I had that, well, then everything would be okay. Then, then I would be content, and then I would be fine, and then I would be happy, and then I would be fulfilled, and I wouldn't want anything more. We buy into that lie until we get it, and then it's not enough, and we look for something different. And I love the language that Richard used last week talking about uh, sexual morality and saying, hey, we're, we're in a sexual pandemic. Like we got a big problem in our country, in our world, when it comes to a sexual ethic. And you can look at that and you can say, okay, the pornography industry is booming. Kind of the sexual ethic of our world is all, like we can kind of come to a conclusion like, yeah, that's, that's not right. We got a problem. But something that's maybe more subtle but just as dangerous is there's a greed pandemic or there's a discontentment pandemic. Like never before in history have a group of people been so blessed materially and yet so unhappy at the same time. And not only that, a sense of entitlement. Like, well, I deserve that and you deserve that. Everybody deserves this and we think we should have it. We have a problem. And if we know... These things in our world are constantly kind of feeding our own discontentment. Then what feeds our contentment? And how do we grow in contentment? How do we, how do we become more content? And listen, you want that. Like even if you're here because somebody invited you to church, and like, oh, you'll love it. And you're like, eh, you know, time will tell. Right, you're here today. You want, and you, know, you may not even believe in Christ. You want to be less greedy and more content. How do you do that? Like, how do we grow in our contentment? Well, well, good news, I think the text that we have today, even just two verses, gives us some practical ways to grow our own contentment in life. So let's look at this, um, verse 5. Let me read just the first part of that verse as we jump into this. Keep your life free from love of money. Keep your life free from love of money. This is a warning. 
You got to see it as a warning. That's what he's doing. This is a warning he's giving, and he's advocating for our freedom. I want you to keep your life free from the love of money. Because the love of money will trip you up, and it'll tangle you up, and it'll enslave you, and it'll trap you. And I'm, I'm advocating for your freedom. And this is not about being rich or not being rich. This is about what you love. Like your heart's desire, what you, what you crave, what you pursue. Rich or poor people can struggle with a love of money, an unhealthy love of money. This is not a bank account issue. This is a heart issue. So let me just ask you, do you love money? And you're like, well, I'm pretty sure with that intro I should say no. Um, <laughs> you know, I want to say no, but it seems like that, that is the driving force behind everything that we do. I want to make more. I want to get a nicer house and a newer car, and I want to upgrade, and I want to be able to take nicer vacations, and I'm pursuing this, and it's this lifestyle that I'm chasing that seems to drive everything. When's the last time you saw somebody say, you know, I think we need a cheaper house, or maybe I shouldn't take that job for the sake of my family or lifestyle, but it seems like we're, we're chasing something that may not be able to deliver. So when I say, do you love money? You might be like, well, I really, really, really like it. I mean, I like it a lot. And let's be honest, it's not, it's not that we don't, we don't love money just because we really like green paper. We, we love what we think money will give us. Comfort, security, safety, fulfillment, enjoyment. Now you've heard the saying, right? You can't buy happiness. It's like, well, I can buy a boat. <laughs> that would be a blast, right? I can, I can buy things that are enjoyable, right? Or what's that country song right now? You can't buy happiness, but you can buy dirt. Let's see who listens to country music and who doesn't. <laughs> right? All it's, that's like, I'm simple. I'm not asking for a jet or anything. Just give me some dirt. Give me some land. Like, that's all I need, right? Th- then I'll be happy. That's enough. Now, the irony of that song in this text is the author is writing to a group of people that are literally having their property plundered. It addresses it in chapter 10. So do you even need dirt to be happy? Can that that deliver? But there seems to be this idea behind money. Like with money, I can get happiness. And with money, I can get comfort. And with money, I can get security. What if that idea is a lie? And money can't actually deliver on those things. Here's, here's uh, what one of the richest people to ever live said. This is King Solomon. He says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And he had a lot of it. And that's his, his take. And again, he's talking about the love of money. Not, not having money, but the love of money. And the love of money is when we think money can do more for us than what it actually can. Like the, the unhealthy love of money is when you think money can do more for you than what it can actually do. Because money can do some things. It can buy you a boat. You can get some dirt. You can pay your bills. You can take vacations. It can do that. But well, there's some things money can't do. Money can't make you happy. Money can't make you uh, content. Money can't give you peace of heart. Money may offer a sense of temporary security, but also often a false security. Definitely not an eternal security. Like there's so many things money can't deliver on. But when we think it can, 
will be disappointed. And that's what he's saying. When you love money, when you, when you think it's going to deliver like this, you're going to chase it and you're going to be disappointed at the end of that. Because you're going to find out it can't deliver those things. But this is not just a letdown. It's a warning. And the warning is clear. Keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your, like, guys, pay t- like, keep your life free from the love of money. Make sure you don't love it too much. That like Paul uh, in 1 Timothy 6 says it a little bit more sharply. He says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So that's what we're talking about today, contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. So Paul's drawing a pretty low bar. Like, put some clothes on my body, put some food in my belly, I'm good. But those who desire to be rich, anybody here desire to be rich? A bunch of liars in church. All right. <laughs> you desire to be rich, is talking to us, fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, there it is again, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves, find themselves in all kinds of problems. This is what happens to money. Guys, listen, loving money is dangerous. It's dangerous. And I know it feels normal. Like, well, who doesn't? But the warning is clear in Scripture. Loving money is dangerous. And we're being warned, keep your life free from the love of money. And you may think, oh, everybody's doing it. What's different? It's no big deal. But it's a, it's a snare. And it'll tangle you up. And it'll trap you. And it'll trick you. And all of a sudden, you're in. It's, it's a root of all kinds of evil. So, like, you can find some, some bad expressions in your life, some bad decisions, some, some evil, some sin struggles. And you might... Find yourself being a person you never thought you would be, and you're like, how did I get here? And if you trace that down to the root, you're like, oh, I love money. That's how I got here. So the first thing we need to acknowledge is that this danger is real, and we need to hear, heed the warning. So check yourself. Do you love money too much? Are you passionate about kind of climbing that ladder and chasing those things down? Do you think it's going to deliver happiness for you? Security contentment, peace? Is it the pursuit of your life? Here's what he says next. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Now, contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. A state of happiness and satisfaction. So what he's saying is, you need to be happy and satisfied with what you have. How can he tell me that? He doesn't even know what I have. I, you don't know my situation, so I, this seems like a pretty broad statement. You're telling me to be happy and content with what I have. Now, actually, that's really easy to be content with what you have until you see what someone else has. And if you doubt me, there's an experiment. Take two kids, let's say like four-year-olds, and you give one kid a piece of candy, just a little small piece of candy. And that kid will think you are the greatest person in the world. This is the best thing ever. He loves this candy, and he's excited about it. And then give the other kid a whole bag of candy. And all of a sudden, it's injustice, and this isn't fair, and I hate you, and I hate this candy, and I hate this world, and everything. Go- I mean, it's just like crazy. It's like, yeah, because I'm happy. Like, your situation didn't change. Just a, a few minutes ago, you were happy with it. You loved it. And then you saw what somebody else had. 
and now I'm no longer happy with it. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is like, no, you can be happy and satisfied with what you have, despite what other people have, that, that you can be happy and satisfied with what you have. Now, here's why we can be happy and satisfied with what we have. Look at the next phrase here. For or because, like this is the reason that we can be content with what you have. He, who is God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we tend to think on this material level, and he just kind of, let's go up a notch to a spiritual level. But here's what he's saying. God has promised he will never leave you or forsake you. And that's in quotes. God says that often, um, most in Deuteronomy and Joshua. But this is a promise from God, I will never leave you or forsake you. So don't miss this. When we, we tend to think, okay, I need to be happy and satisfied with what I have. We think, all right, <clears throat> I don't have the best job, but I have a job. I should be thankful for that. I, I don't have a new car, but I have a working car, and it gets me to where I need to be, okay? I, I don't have uh, my dream house, but I have a roof over my head, right? I should be, I should be thankful for that. And we, we tend to think of these materialistic things, like count your blessings. It's just, that's not what he does. He says, here's why you have, let me remind you, you have the Lord. You have the presence of God, a God almighty who has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like, you're mine, and, and I'm with you. This, this is what he tells him. Like, this is what he's trying to remind him. You have the Lord, and he's stating a promise from God. Is this not good news? Uh, yeah, okay, that's good, that's good. <laughs> Killing me. But the, the promise of God, he's like, okay, you need to be happy and content with what you have. And here, let me remind you what you have. And I know you're going to try to count your blessings over here, but don't count your blessings. Count God's promises. You have the Lord God Almighty who has made a promise to be with you and never leave you or forsake you. So here's what we need to know. God's promises feed our contentment. God's promises feed our contentment. We know that all the materialistic advertisement, comparison stuff in our world feeds our discontentment. But God's promises feed our contentment. And listen to me. What you feed grows. What you feed grows. And if you immerse yourself in social media and television and commercials and all that this world has to offer, guess what? You're going to grow in discontentment. And you're going to see all the things that you don't have. And you're going to want them. But if you immerse yourself in the word of God and the promises of God, you're going you're to be blown away by all that you have in Christ. And you will grow in your contentment. So when it comes to a contentment problem, maybe for us, the real struggle for you, for me, is that we spend a lot of time in this world. We spend a lot of time on social media. We spend a lot of time in front of the television. And we're just reminded of all the things that we don't have. And we don't spend enough time thinking about all that we have in Christ. But the author here is reminding them. You should be content. You should be content. Let me remind you what you have. You have the Lord God and his presence and his protection. So Paul, who seems to be the master of contentment, he wrote that passage we read in 1 Timothy 6. Like, hey, just give me some food and clothes. I'm good. Uh, he wrote the book of Philippians, letter of Philippians. Uh, talks about joy so much in Philippians. He's writing it from jail. Uh, but in Philippians chapter 4, there's... One, maybe one of the most misquoted passages in all of Scripture, 
that, you know, through Christ I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, but if you understand the context of that passage, what Paul is saying is, hey, I can be rich or I can be poor. I can go with a lot or I can go with a little. I, I can do any of it through Christ who strengthens me. That, that's what he's saying. So this kind of master of contentment, when you read his writings and his letters, you see that he's being fueled or his contentment is being fueled by God's promises. Let me read a few of them. This is in Philippians. It says this. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Like, I don't care if I lose it. I get Christ. That's, what, that's his goal. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Like, like, I don't care if I lose this material stuff. I got Jesus, and that's enough. Here's what else he says in this book. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the what? The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My goal, what I'm living for, is not now, but someday of being with my Heavenly Father. Here's another passage. So we do not lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's like, I'm not looking at this stuff. I'm just this moment, this light momentary affliction doesn't compare to the eternal weight of glory. Now, how does he do that? He's comparing it. Like, my eyes are fixed on this eternal weight of glory. Here's one more. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul's contentment was fueled by constantly keeping the promises of God in front of him. And here in our passage in Hebrews, the writer is reminding us, for the sake of our contentment, don't forget what you have. Or maybe I should say, don't forget who you have. You have the Lord, and he has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, now the next word isn't therefore, it's so, but it's the same kind of goal. He's, he's connecting some thoughts. So the very next verse, verse 6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, this should be our attitude. This should be our attitude. The Lord God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So our attitude is, okay, then I'm not going to be afraid. Like, what can man do to me? Like, you have this confidence and contentment. Basically, because God said, I will never leave you or forsake you, we can say, well, then I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid of people. I'm not going to be afraid of circumstances here. Like, that, that, that God's care and provision and presence trumps all the other struggles that I will go through. Like, it should breed a confidence in us. But it's very fitting that he addresses fear because love of money is often driven by fear. I fear my future. And I don't know what it holds. If I had more money, I would feel more secure. I feel or, or I fear not having a, self of self, a sense of self-worth. And if I could have some money, I would feel better about myself. Or, or I have a fear that I'm never going to be satisfied or I'm never going to fulfill the longings of joy and, and happiness that I want to experience. And if I can have money, then I can pursue kind of satisfaction in my life. 
And guys, those longings are, are understandable longings. To want some security in our future. To want a sense of value. To want um, to be satisfied. The longings for joy. It's just when we think money will deliver on those things, it's misplaced confidence. But then he says, what can man do to me? I will not fear. What, what can man do to me? Question mark. Because the people he's writing to or talking to here, their safety and security and comfort was being threatened by others. Like in chapter 10, we talked about their property was being um, plundered. So when he says, what can man do to me? You might think the implied answer is, well, nothing. It's like, well, that ain't true. They can plunder your property. They can take your dirt. They can take your job. They can separate you from your family, put you in jail. They can take your life. It's like, well, there's a lot man can do. But it's important when you're battling for contentment to understand what man can do and what man can't do. Because a man can't separate you from the love of Christ. And he can't thwart God's presence in your life. He can't take away your inheritance in Christ. He can't change your future. It's secured in, in Jesus. And there, these are things that Paul knew well as, uh, as well. Let me read a few other passages. He says, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, But we have in this treasure, or we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. But not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Like, yeah, we're going to go through this. Like, there is an extent of our trials, but there's also a point where it can't go any further. Like, yeah, we can be persecuted, but we're not destroyed. We, we can be perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. There's an end to this. Here's another passage. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all the things that they were facing? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Like, is that their fate? Like, that's their experiences, but is that their fate? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. I see you. All right. Here's one in Matthew. It says, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So this is something we all need to know. Do not fear those who kill the body. Like, wait, what? (laughs) Do not fear... Well, do not fear those. Like, what are they going to do to you? Kill you? Yeah, they're going to kill me. Like, that's what they're going to do to me. It says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. So it's like, you need to understand what man can do and what man can't do. They can kill you, but they can't touch your soul. Because after that, their power is done. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are, you, you are more value than many sparrows. It's like, I got you. 
God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. And you may go through a lot of things and, and people may plunder your property. And you may go through difficulties, but, but I got you to the end. And I have promised to never leave you or forsake you. And they knew this. They knew this. In fact, in chapter 10, when he's talking about their property getting plundered, it says they joyfully accepted it. Like, how do you joyfully accept your property getting plundered? Like, how, how do they do that? Here's why. Because it says that they knew they had a better possession waiting for them. They knew they had a better possession waiting for them. Oh, you're going to take my house? All right. I got a mansion waiting. So have at it. Like, like their, their contentment, hear me now, their contentment was not about what they had in this life, but what they had in the next. And guys, prosperity, or let me put it this way, for a lot of Americans, that's a hard thing to grasp. Because we have it so good here now. So could anything be better? I'm, I'm almost afraid to lose it. I love my life. But their contentment was not about what they had in this life, what they had in the next. And we have to see beyond this life. So when he says, the Lord is my helper, it does not mean that the Lord is going to help me get that job and, and help me get that car and help me get that promotion and help me take my family on this vacation. That's not what he's talking about. We have to ask, how specifically has the Lord helped us in a way that would lead to our contentment even when our property is being plundered? And it's salvation, forgiveness of sins, redemption, being made new, being adopted into his family that, that cannot be taken away from us. We have an inheritance that cannot be stolen. Man can't reach that. That's that what gives us this secure contentment no matter our situation. In fact, if you want to understand more about salvation, there's a new book in our resource center, Finally Alive. I love that book, but just kind of understand how wonderful our salvation is. This salvation gives us a contentment that supersedes every circumstance and man can't take away. In fact, let's look at the context of one of those passages I read earlier. This is in Romans 8. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Again, I shall not fear. What can man do to me? But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Then you get to verse 18 where it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. That's where Paul had his mind fixed to. It says, oh, I'm a child of God. I can cry, Abba, Father. I've been adopted. I'm a fellow heir with Christ. Nobody can take that from me. And the Lord has promised he's never going to leave me or forsake me. That fueled his contentment. All right, so what? What do we do? What do we do? If, if the promises of God feed our contentment, how do we eat it? Like, how do we actually get nourished by it? How do we grow our contentment practically? Let me read both of these verses. I want us to see something specific in it. It says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, a couple things I want to point out. First, if you notice, if contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction and he's commanding it, he's commanding an emotion. Now, how do you command an emotion? 
Like, I understand you can command an action, do this, okay, I can do this. But he is commanding an emotion. He's commanding happiness and satisfaction. You need to be happy and satisfied. That's a commandment. How do you do that? Well, it's not an unreasonable command for that emotion. It's not like he's saying, listen, <laughs> you got a broken down automobile. You can't even get anywhere. You're in a dead-end job and you're battling cancer. Be happy. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is like, yeah, your car don't work and you're battling cancer and your job ain't great, but you have the Lord God Almighty who has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Be happy and satisfied. Like that's where you need to look to. And it's like, oh, that's understandable. That's understandable. I can have joy and contentment because I have the Lord. He's telling us that's where we need to focus to. So how do we take that reasonable emotion and implement it into our heart so it's genuinely our emotion? Well, let's read it again. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I want us to notice what he says and what he doesn't say, because words matter. What are the words that he uses? What meaning does that bring to us? Well, we're going to apply this. Now, what he doesn't say is be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently believe. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. Are we to believe that? Yeah, but that's not what he says. And he says what he says on purpose. What he says is, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Guys, in other words, the good news is something that needs to be proclaimed. You need to say it. You need to vocalize it. In order to reinforce the emotions connected with it. Because you know, like sometimes you know something, but you don't really know it. You know what I'm saying? Like I know it, but I don't, I don't really know it. It's like you got to preach to yourself. You, you got to remind yourself. You got to reinforce it. He's commanding us, say it, right? And you've been in a conversation with somebody. It's like, no, I want to hear you say it. Like I said, I want to hear you like say it out loud. Proclaim it. Speak it. Reinforce it. Because it's got to go from here to here. Are you with me? There's a, an old movie I love. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but it's been out for a while, so I'll, I won't spoil it to you. But there's a movie called uh, Good Will Hunting. Does anybody admit that they watch that in church? Okay. <laughs> it's rated R. Um, <laughs> saying, you raise your hand. Uh, so in, in the movie, there's uh, Will, I forget his last name. He, he was, uh, had a really rough life, uh, went through some really difficult stuff. But he's a genius, like a math, he's a janitor, like at MIT, solving these crazy math problems. He gets in trouble with the law, um, but this MIT math teacher, like, let me get you out and I'll get you a math job. Like, that sounds great. <laughs> Leave me in jail. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <coughs> all the engineers are like, yeah, that's not like that. Um, so he gets him out. But, but the conditions of his release is he has to see a therapist or he has to see a counselor. And he doesn't connect with any of them until finally one who's kind of got a similar background to him that helps him out. And he, he's kind of wrapping up his time. He goes to his last session. And his counselor has his file open with some pretty, you know, 
hard pictures and descriptions of the abuse that he went through growing up. Um, he was like, yeah, is that my file? He's like, yeah, it's some crazy stuff. He's like, yeah. And he, he, he shuts his file, and he looks at him, and he says, you know what? This isn't your fault. He's like, yeah, I, I know. And he's like, no, it's not your fault. He's like, I know. And then he gets closer to him. He's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And he gets even closer. It's not your fault. This is not your fault. And then he just breaks down crying. Because right? he, he said he knew it, but, but he, didn't, he didn't know it. And you have the book of Hebrews that has just been unpacking the greatness of God. He's higher than the angels. He's the sufficient sacrifice. He's our great high priest. He intercedes on our behalf. He's he's in the order of Melchizedek, the the one who represents us. And then it gets here and it says, oh yeah, and he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And so many church people hear that and be like, oh yeah, I know that. No, no, no. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. And he's saying, say it. Say it, because what's here has got to get to here for our contentment. You've got to proclaim it. You've got to preach this good news to yourself. So, so here's, here's the application. Proclaim God's promises to feed your contentment. Proclaim God's promises to feed your contentment. When you're, when you're feeling discontent, here's how you fight. You don't just count your blessings. You count God's promises. And you talk to yourself and you proclaim the gospel to yourself and you say these amazing truths of God. And when he says, hey, confidently say the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what can man do to me. He's saying this truth can't be something that just kind of exists in the back of your mind when in the front of your mind is, did you see those cabinets? See that car? You see that house? Do you see that vacation? It's like, no, we've we got we to gotta learn to talk back. Because all week what's getting shouted in our face is you don't have this, but you should, and you don't have this, but you should, and this would make your life better, and you see what she had, and you see what he drives, and we've got to talk back. So, but I have the Lord, and he's promised to never leave me or forsake me. I don't need anything else. I'm content in who I am, not what I have. And guys, if we don't get this, the love of money is going to do damage, like real damage. It'll trip you up like a snare. It'll enslave you. Because this is an issue of freedom. Do you remember before when he says, keep your life free from the love of money? It's because the love of money always says, I need I need that to be happy, and I need this to be content. I need this to feel secure, and I need this. But the gospel says, I have. I have freedom in Christ. I have security in Christ. I have enjoyment in Christ. I have forgiveness in Christ. I have a future in Christ. I have an inheritance in Christ. And right now in your circumstance, whatever your condition is, if you can't say, I have all that I need in Christ Jesus, then you don't understand the gospel. Not here. Maybe here, but not here. But church, if we could be a group of people that are free from the love of money, 
because the gospel is in front of our minds here and here and we're absolutely blown away by all that we have in Christ Jesus. And we're not chasing after security. We're not chasing after peace. We're not chasing after comfort because we already found it in Jesus Christ. And we would be a group of people who are content with what we have because of who we have. Amen? And if you want to know what you have in Christ, we turn our attention to some elements that represent that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And we've been redeemed through that act and we've been purchased. And now you can be called a child of God and you have been adopted. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. And you are a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. And when you take communion, would you focus on all of what Christ has purchased on your behalf? And we would be content people. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to get distracted by the things that this world tempts us with. That we can chase after things thinking that it will bring peace and security and satisfaction that always ends up empty. But as Psalm 16 tells us that to your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You are the source of joy. And we have you. And you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. I pray that that truth sinks, in, sinks into our hearts. That we would live content with all that we have. Because we have you. I pray this in your name. Amen.